The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at romanschapter5 at comcast.net. Welcome to the Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode 18, On Ethics, The Nature of Rationality. In the next few episodes of The Christian Atheist, I would like to explore ethics and what it can teach us about human nature and, hopefully, God and our relation to Him. I have a few expectations of where we may end up, but I want to explore the territory and see what we can discover. It has been an area of immense interest to me, first as an atheist professor of philosophy and now as a Christian. Almost none of what I say here is non-controversial. I welcome challenge and discussion. Initially, we can note that ethics is unique to human beings. We don't expect animals to be ethical unless we are foolishly anthropomorphizing. Animals can't steal or murder or lie. They cannot love, betray, or hate, except in Disney. Although we may be moral towards animals, there is no corresponding moral concern or obligation in the opposite direction. No reciprocity. What, then, is the difference between animals and human beings that makes this moral distinction possible? The ancient Greeks, in particular Aristotle, had a method of definition by which they would note first the broad class to which something belongs, its genus, and then clarify what distinguishes it from the others of its genus, the difference. We call this definition by genus and difference. The broad category of things to which humans belong is animal, as we are not plants, the other division of living things. For the Greeks, What distinguishes humans from other animals is rationality. That is, we define human beings as rational animals. What, though, does it mean to be rational? My understanding is idiosyncratic, as I pack all that differentiates us from the animals into our rationality. For instance, human emotion differs from animal emotion. It is more elaborate and extended, far more mediated than the simple emotional states of animals. Though many tend to oppose emotion and reason, this is not a good understanding of human emotion, which is much more complex, structured, and filtered by rationality. More on this later, perhaps. I would like to propose that we think of human rationality as defined by three intertwining characteristics. Rationality is reflective, critical, and tendentious. Treating rationality by differentiating it into three terms allows us to separate out for analysis these intertwined tendencies. But in reality, all three combine inextricably to create human rationality. To be reflective means to step outside the immediacy of the causal chain of reaction instinct, to gain a perspective on our situation and on our self. Reflection means to no longer live simply in the moment. If we think of a reflection in a mirror, we can view ourselves as an object in the world. The mirror distances the inner viewer from our outer being. We can even say that the ability to reflect is akin to the creation 
of a self. Though this is subtly wrong too, as there is no act of creation, only an encounter with the object that we are. We human beings know ourselves as particular kinds of objects in a world of other objects because we are reflective. The ability to reflect, then, is the ability to be self-aware, to have a self, and not to be simply a connected series of experiences. The ability to be reflective, though, is founded upon our ability to be critical, the ability to adopt an attitude of negation in the face of what is. We say that reflection allows us to distance ourselves from our immediate situation, from our objective self. How is this possible? Animals live at the experiential level. When a dog looks in the mirror, he does not see himself, but a dog. He does not know himself as a dog, cannot identify his experience of that object as a presentation of himself. In fact, he doesn't have a self. He lives at the level of positive experience, experience of. A connected chain of positive experience. In order to step out of that level, the dog would need to be critical. That is, to deny his positive experience. The distinction in language between subject and object is useful here. To be subjective is to experience, and what we experience is objective. So in the sentence, I see a chair, I am the experiencing subject, and chair is the object. Subjectivity is seeing. The object is seen. In reflection, in order for the subject the seeing, to see itself, it must become objective. The subject must become its own object. How is this possible? First, the subject must deny its own experiential immediacy. Mirrors mediate the experiencing subject and its reflection, creating a perspectival distance. This mediation is a spatio-temporal negation, a denial of the immediacy, the positive here and now of experience. It is this moment of denial that animals seem unable to accomplish. The subject must deny its subjectivity in order that it may see itself as a new kind of object, a subject object, a person, a subject with a self the I and me of language. To be critical is to have this ability to negate. Animals do not negate. Their experience is positive only. Self-consciousness is a natural revolution founded on this ability to negate and is almost exclusively human. Thus, human consciousness is both origin and foundation of our rational nature by critically confronting our experience, reflecting on it as a subject-object, a self, in an objective situation. There is yet one piece missing from this puzzle. What motivates this critico-reflective act? Let us suppose that we are thirsty and standing in front of a dirty puddle. A dog in this situation having an impulse to drink in the presence of water, will drink. 
His instincts determine his reaction. Why don't we do the same? Reflection, creating a distance between our thirst, the subjective impulse, and our self, the objective subject, allows us to deny our deterministic impulse to drink here and now. This critical stance on the situation is, however, a tendentious negation. It is purposely taking us somewhere, and as such is value-bound. We say no to a situation, reflect on it, problematize it in order to alter it, better understand it, move beyond it. Critical reflection makes this distance possible, and it is motivated by the problem of the thirst, which is a complex valuation. It is now possible for us to combine these three tendencies into a unitary response to our experience. By being self-conscious and problematizing our situation, we present and frame our world in a new and more expansive, in both space and time, way. What is present to us is negated, our ability to be critical, in favor of a higher value, a project or project. Thus, tendentiousness involves an ordinalization and projection of value. We oppose, that is, what is present to a future, which is a possible, that is not, but may be. In practical terms, we refuse to drink from the dirty puddle because we will get a drink at home or at the convenience store down the street. By giving ourselves space to evaluate our present as problematic, based on our critical ability, we can also project a future in which various possible solutions can be realized. We order these possibles into a value hierarchy and choose the best. It is nearly impossible to overstate the earth-shattering revolution in thought that rational processing brings us. It is rationality that temporalizes our experience, creating a self with a past. Memory results from self-conscious experience, a present and a future. It is an objective self that brings all three dimensions of time to our consciousness. Future is the result of a projected self, a tendentious reaching for a solution that is not present, but is possible. Time consciousness is another element of human rationality that makes us unique. Animals exist as present only. And even here, we are anthropomorphizing, as knowing neither past nor future means not knowing the present as present. Presence and place are simply the positive canvas on which all their experience unfolds. This is both a blessing and a curse for human beings, as time consciousness also gives us awareness of mortality, allows us to imagine, yet another function of rationality, a time in which we are not. It also founds technology, systematic manipulation of our world, through the projection of solutions to present problems, enabling imagination to make reality on an indeterminate plane of existence, the future. 
that we can work to realize as our project self. One more important way to understand human rationality is the ability of human beings to question. As long as one lives exclusively in the stream of immediate experience, we react to the positive realities presented to us in that stream. It is only when we can stand in the midst of the stream and reject, deny, be critical of what is given to us that we can open up the question. If one summer morning you awaken to a snow-covered lawn as you let your dog out to pee, there are two very different reactions to snow on your lawn. Your dog goes into the snow, does his business as usual, and returns to the house. You, however, see snow in summer as a problem. Why? Because you experience the present with expectations. This is tendentious time consciousness. You are struck that there should not, the critical moment, be snow here now, the present. Note the verbal duality here of temporal present with spatial presentation. You question here now because it does not line up with what you expect, tendentiousness. All this unfolds because as a reflective being, you have space between yourself and your objective situation as a being in a context of being, a framed world of expectations. Animals do not question. This too is a uniquely human capacity and is of tremendous importance to our being in this world. The ability to question what is, to look for what may be, what should be, and here we have a glimpse of ethics, to compare one positive experience with another or to our own expectations. This is the very sum and substance of human rationality. I present all of this as a prelude to our discussion on ethics as ethics, too, is one of those elements of reality that come inextricably bound to human rationality. It is because we are beings who live extended in time that we can be ethical beings, as ethics implies an obligation to act in a particular way. An obligation implies the sort of continuity in subjective experience that only self-conscious beings existing in all three temporal dimensions with valued expectations can have. In order to be responsible, one must possess, one, a past, self-consciousness as having acted, and two, a future, a project self affected by action, and be presence to both as agent. Ethics that is, is a function of rationality, explaining why animals stand outside the ethical realm. We can act ethically towards animals, but they never return the favor. Animals react. They do not act. They are determined, incapable of acting in any manner other than that which their natures dictate, and thus of being held accountable. Animals cannot enter into a contract make or keep a promise, break or keep a law. All of these things require human consciousness, awareness of self, and valued temporal extension.
I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.